morning. I don't know uh, how you're feeling today, where you're watching from, or who you're with, but we are just so, come on over, Caleb. Uh, we are just so glad that you're here, so welcome to Real Life. My name's Sarah, and I'm doing connections here. And my name's Caleb Cox. I'm actually Sarah's nephew, and I'm interning under her this summer for Real Life. Um, and you all here at Real Life, we believe in helping people that feel far from God find real life in Christ. Yeah, we're so passionate about that. So stay tuned for lots of opportunities in the next month or two to join a small group, volunteer, or just have a lot of fun getting connected through some of the events and celebrations we have coming up. And you all, speaking of connections, here on August 21st at 5.30 to 8.30, we have a couple's date night up at Lakeside Surf. Um, so if you're dating... Uh, engaged or married for adult couples. That's not me, but I won't see you there. Anyways, we got that going on. Um, so yeah, just another way to get connected and have some fun with some other adult couples. Yes, the event is called Summer Lovin'. We hope to have a blast up at Lakeside Surf. I don't know what will be more fun, surfing or watching the people surfing and falling off. Um, but it's sure to be a great time. For $10, you're going to get a taco dinner and lots of delicious sides. Uh, there's lots of games to play from ping pong to volleyball to um, hot tubbing, cornhole, uh, and just really hanging out with other people from real life. So we hope to see you there. And if you have not downloaded the Real Life app yet, this is a great time to do that. Uh, the registration is very easy on the Real Life app. It's teal, and you can find it in your app store, and you can pay there, again, $10. You're going to be leaving with a lot more than you came with because we have a lot of fun raffle prizes for you. And you all here in a few minutes, we're going to have Pastor Kyle coming out, giving the next message in the series, so really looking forward to that. He always does a great job, so, yeah. So our series is called Free, and um, at this time, would you, would you pray with me? Dear God, I love that you're a God of freedom, of joy, uh, who wants us to find abundant life in you. I love that you meet us where you were at, whether we do feel far from you or whether we feel close to you. Lord, you just want us to feel loved and um, part of a community. So I thank you for everyone that's here today. Uh, I pray that you uh, speak to each one of our hearts through Kyle, in the worship. And God, thank you for uh, just always being here when we need you and when we want to talk to you, to know that um, if we feel far from you, it's not you that moved. In Jesus' name, amen. You were once a prisoner, held captive by fear, by prejudice, by sin. Anger, addiction. But here's the thing, that prison no longer exists. Those walls have been torn down. What once held you captive now lays in ruins. You have been set free, redeemed, renewed, and God continues creating by bringing your soul to life. Where there was a prison,
there is now a playground. Where there was despair, we find a wellspring of joy. Where there was death, we are given life. Christ has set us free. So live in that freedom. Lift your voice. Clap your hands. Find your joy. And set it free. For you are a prisoner no longer. Well, good morning. Good to have you here in Chelan. Uh, if you're listening online on our online campus, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Brewster, uh, you're all meeting up in the middle school. Good news, bad news. I'm sure you know this in Brewster. Bad news is you're getting kicked out of your building for the next few weeks. they got to redo the floors. And so we're inviting you to come on down to Chelan. We're going to make room for you. We'll give you the best seats down front. We'll say you the good coffee, uh, but come on down. And to lure you here next week, Pastor Billy from Brewster, Brewster Campus Pastor, will be standing right here uh, preaching the sermon. So if that's not enough to get you here, I don't know what is. We're excited. We're going to kick off a brand new series next week. So all of Brewster's going to be here. We're going to co-mingle bears and goats and Trojans, and we're going to see what happens. As usual, the bears will come out on top because they always win. Um, <laughs> no laughter here. They're laughing hard in Brewster. Nobody's laughing here in Chelan. Uh, listen, I think a, a lot of times, uh, whether you're a church person or not, we look at Christianity or trying to live in for God a lot like um, playing church league basketball. When I was uh, a young youth pastor living in Southern California, my little side hustle, as the kids say, was to pick up a little money, uh, refereeing basketball. Now, when you referee church basketball, down in Southern California, there was an A League and a B League. The A League guys were guys that played in high school that thought they were great and are still trying to be great at 30 and 40, 50 years old. B League, they were never great. And they think they're great. They never were. They never will be. And they get super frustrated super quick. So what would happen, church league, because of church league, there was all these extra rules. And, uh, like, there was no cussing. Um, that, um, I think you had to take communion and get baptized before every game. I'm not sure of all the rules. I forget them, all right? Uh, but one of them was you can't yell at the refs. You can't cuss each other out. You certainly can't cuss at the refs. And there was a couple teams, after every single time they played, we'd always start the game with a prayer in the middle of the court. And then at the end, we would have a prayer at the end of it. And a couple of these teams had one or two guys on them that after the game, every single time, we'd meet out in the middle for prayer, and they would always say, so sorry about my temper, sorry I cussed at your ref, so, you know, do better. I hope you forgive me. And like the first time, my buddy and I are like, yeah, man, we, we get it. Yeah, it's hard. Then the next week, same thing happens. Then the next week, same thing happens. By week five or six, we're like, we ain't even praying with you guys anymore. Because it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to do the same thing over and over, say a little prayer, and act like we're all good. In fact, not only did we quit praying with them, this is basketball, y'all. We started a penalty box. Like, 
dude, you're out of control. you got to be out of the game for five minutes. That's how bad it got. And I got so frustrated because I thought they're so phony, they're so hypocrites that they do whatever they want during the game and then they just say a prayer and ask for forgiveness afterwards. Now, a lot of us approach, especially if you're raised in this thing for a long time, we approach God the same way. Thank God that I'm not him, all right? Because God puts up with that. God doesn't put you in a penalty box. God doesn't walk away when you ask for forgiveness, all right? But at the same time, why do you keep doing the same things over and over? Why do you keep asking for forgiveness for the same stuff? Maybe you're like, okay, I'm not a, 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 a church person. I'm not a God person. Okay, well, why do you keep doing the same thing over and over and asking your wife to forgive you? Why do you have to keep doing the same thing, come back to your kid and say, yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have acted that way. Sorry I said that. What? I mean, this is a horrible thing, but what's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? See, it's impossible to solve a problem when you don't understand what the problem is to begin with. And sometimes, the last couple of weeks we looked at this thing, and maybe we're trying to solve the wrong problem. The problem may be that we don't know what the problem may be. That maybe we just have just tried harder, and we, we've heard sermons, and we've read our Bibles, and we thought, I just need to work hard. I need to try harder. And, and we talk about it all the time here. When you hear someone preach, did they ask you to try harder or trust more? And maybe the answer isn't so much in your trying because that hasn't worked, right? Maybe it's in the trusting part. That's where we're headed today. Now, uh, we've looked at uh, what we call in church world the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul uh, knows your struggle. Like if you're first time to church, you're like, okay, I get this guy. He knows me. I know him. In just a second, you're going to agree with his description of you. And then he's going to give us a solution as well. But the Apostle Paul wasn't just some dude that was pretty good and got through life and everything was fine. Most of his life, Paul was a, a, a horrible person. In the eyes of Judaism, he was perfect. But somewhere along the line, Jesus shows up, gives his life, right, uh, rises from the dead, and then this whole movement starts after Jesus leaves the earth. Paul decides he's going to put to death, or at least in prison, anyone who calls himself followers of Jesus. So Paul was a terrorist or a persecutor of Christians, and then he became one. He became a follower of Jesus. Then arguably became the largest church planner, the most effective missionary for the gospel, the good news about and from Jesus than anybody else in the world. So Paul is like, if you're going to rank him of like top people in the Bible, you're going to do a top 10, greatest Christians who ever lived, Paul's like up there in the top five. So it's surprising, but also comforting when Paul says, this is Paul talking. This is Paul talking after he became a Christian. This is Paul talking before he reveals the solution. This is Paul's struggles. And I bet you no matter where you are at, you can relate to his struggle. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Anybody? Yeah, everyone, all the husbands are like, <laughs> for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I want to do what's right. If you ask me, I tell you, I just can't. Paul's not done. For I do not do the good I want to do, if that's not bad enough, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. It's so frustrating. 
Paul says, now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And like we said last week, that is a lot of doo-doo. That's a lot of stuff. Like, what is going on? Paul says, well, I know what's going on. Paul lays out the, the problem, and Paul's explanation that we talked a couple weeks ago is like, everybody who's ever born is born in Adam. Adam's the first man. And this may get a little confusing. I'll move quickly, but we can talk about it later if you want. Paul says, I know why you don't do what you want to do. I know why you keep doing what you don't want to do. Paul says, it's sin. Paul says that everyone born in Adam is a sinner. Because Adam sinned, you're born in Adam. He was the first man you came after. You're a sinner too. And you're like, well, that's not fair. Yeah, but it's true. You know, like, hey, I wasn't there. I didn't eat the apple. I wasn't seduced by my wife that God gave me. I wasn't an innocent bystander and the wife made me sin. I, I didn't do that. Adam's first man, Adam's first to sin. If you're born, if you're human, sinner. And everybody's in there, you guys. Obviously, this is me. You're like, Pastor Kyle's a sinner? Yep. Darlene, the lovely Darlene, Kyle's wife? Well, not so much. She's outside this circle a little bit. But here, here, former quarterback of the Seahawks, Russell Wilson, sinner, big sinner now, right? <laughs> Who else you want in here? Oh, oh, this is Pastor Billy. Pastor Billy from Brewster's in here, way down, way down in the bottom. Pastor Graham, he was the first one in. <laughs> Come on, everybody's in Adam. Like, okay, and you may like, oh, I don't agree with this. Okay, this is Paul's explanation of it. Paul, who sat down and moved by God, wrote it down for us all to have. Like, everyone's a sinner. So when you say, why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? Paul says, I know what the problem is. It's sin. When your kid gets to be two years old, and they're like, man, what is wrong with that kid? What's gotten into him? Paul says, sin. You don't have to teach him, right? Sin. Paul refers to sin as a noun, not just the verb. And most of our life, if you grew up in the church like I did, we work so hard at the verb. Quit looking at that. Quit thinking that. Quit saying that. And somewhere inside me, I have to come up with the answers. I have to stop doing that. I have to come up and try harder. But Paul says it's bigger than that. It's an it. It's a noun. And he, he personifies it like it's this attacker. It's this burglar. It's this thing that has snuck in and got control of us, and you didn't have a choice, even the lovely Darlene, because we were in Adam, we're in sin. Now, there's good news that comes with that. Paul says, that's everybody's situation. And then right in the middle of this, Paul's like, I can't do what I want to do, and I keep doing what I don't want to do. And then he says, who who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And it's not like death, I'm going to die someday and they're going to put me in the ground. It's the death of relationships. It's the death of a future. I keep doing things that sabotage me from living the life I've always wanted to live. And probably the life you were created to live. I can't do this on my own. Who will rescue me? We say, what will rescue me? If I just stop doing that, if I just stop doing that, if... You know what? If I had a bigger home, I'd feel better about myself. I, I, I quit doing that stuff. If my wife was just nicer, I wouldn't have to be so mean. 
We come up with that stuff. But Paul says it's a who. Then he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says, the who, Jesus, the who is greater than the doo-doo in you. You're like, that's such middle school. Yeah, okay, I stole it from when I was a middle school pastor. All right, all right. But you're going to remember that. When Jesus is in you, the who in you is greater than all those things you don't want to do. Paul says, when you decide to put your life in the hands of Jesus, when you decide to admit that you're a sinner and you can't do anything about it, you move from being in Adam to in Christ. That when Jesus died on the cross for the consequences and power of sin to be eliminated, when you connect with Jesus, you're in Christ. When Jesus died to uh, sin he, and then rose again, he conquered death. He conquered sin. That's the whole uh, teaching of the New Testament. And when you're in Christ, sin is no longer in control. You're like, wait a minute, I wasn't there. I, I didn't do anything. No, Jesus did it. You weren't here when you were in Adam. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't fair. But it's true. Listen, you weren't there when Jesus died for you either. But it's available to you, and it's true. And it wasn't fair. But it's true. So, just as one single unrighteous act of one man ensures you were born a slave to sin, Paul says, so the single righteous act of one man frees you from the power of sin. That's good news. Paul says, listen, after going through this struggle and just kind of shouting out like, in one place he shouts out, what a wretched man I am. What a horrible person I am. Who's going to rescue me? Paul says, Jesus will. And once you find yourself here, now, if you're not here yet, that's okay. That's okay. Give me another 20 minutes, we'll talk about it. If you're not in Christ and you're rolling the dice, do the best you can, I guess. Because the power of sin is still in control of you. But if you're in Christ, Paul says, the power of sin. Sin doesn't have to win. In fact, Paul says, sin is not your master. When sin comes knocking and says, hey, remember, remember me? Let's, let's go do that thing. When sin comes and shows up, hey, let's go look at that. Hey, remember that, that site we used to be on? Remember how your anger used to be out of control? When sin shows up, you don't have, sin is not your master. It's not just a matter of temptation or addiction or, or, or a bad habit. Sin has come in and messed with you, but if you're in Christ, sin is not your master. So for the last couple of weeks, and if you want to catch up, you can go on the, our Real Life Church app or on the website or, man, I learned, but we're on podcast, podcast uh, Apple, and we're on Spotify, and we're on uh, um, German television somewhere, I'm not sure. You can see us everywhere, all right? Uh, uh, you can go and catch up a little bit more. But today, I want to give you the solution. Like, okay, we, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to say, okay, Kyle, I get it. The Bible says it, Paul says it, I get it. But that's not the reality of my life. I may know that I'm in Christ. 
I may know that sin is not my master, but I don't know how to live that out. So the next couple of minutes, I just want to give you the so what, now what. And, and we're going to give that to you. And like, how do you stay? If you're dead to sin, when you died with Christ, you're dead to sin, Paul says. Sin is not your master. Sin's not controlling you. How do you do that? So we're going to talk about dying in 3D. I'm going to give you three words that start with D. It's super practical. So when you leave here, you're not like, ah, in Christ, in Adam, I don't get all that stuff. Okay, I'm going to give you three practical steps of how to live a life where sin does not have to be your master. All right? Paul says, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Right? Once you die and are raised from the dead, you don't get to die again. He conquered the power of sin. He could, they couldn't hold him in the grave, thank God. Death no longer has mastery over him. So if death and sin have no control over Jesus, they don't have to have control over us. Jesus demonstrated power over the consequences of sin, the control of sin. And it, it, it was a big deal. So then Paul gives us our first action step. He says, in the same way, just like Jesus, just like Jesus died and conquered death, just like Jesus died and gave his life for the consequences and power of sin, in the same way, count. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. When he says count, this word count, it's a math term. It's like calculate, cipher, figure out. It's a, it, 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 it's, it's a word that you would use to, to add something up. We're going to use the first D we're going to use is declare. And you may need to do this out loud. You may need to do this at least in your heart. You may need to do this with a friend where you say, I declare that sin is not my master. I declare that sin has no power over me. That you can add up the facts, okay? Uh, this is pretty simple, I know. But if I said two plus two equals, you would know it's four. There was no one, I don't think in the crazy world we live in, I don't think anyone would disagree that when you add two to a two, you get four. Paul says, count that, declare that, that's truth. Calculate that up, two plus two equals four. He says in the same way, Jesus conquered sin plus the fact that I'm in Christ equals I am free, just like two plus two equals four. So there's a moment where you have to decide for yourself and declare, I'm in Christ. I am free of sin and the power of sin. I am free. Sin, you are not the boss of me. You are not my master. You are no longer in control. It used to be that thing that used to rise up Used to be, but now I'm in Christ. The first place you start is to say, you add up the truth. Jesus conquered sin. Well, I'm in Jesus. So I'm free from the power of sin. He keeps going. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Now, Paul's really direct here, and he gets pretty graphic moving forward. I don't want to sound like my grandma waving my finger at you, all right? My grandma's good intentions, God rest her soul. She loved Jesus. She loved me. 
but she had a way of delivering truth that was at best condescending, all right? Uh, and so I don't want to do that. I'm with you guys. I, the struggle's the same. Declaring that I'm free of sin is a struggle. To add that up in my mind every day is a struggle. I'm delivering truth. I didn't come up with it. The, the Apostle Paul, through God's Holy Spirit, was moved to put the truth on paper for us. So what he's saying is, therefore, do not let sin. You get to, second D word, the three, of the three Ds, you get to decide. When you say yes to sin, you're letting sin reign. But you don't have to let sin in. Sin's trying to break in, but you don't have to let him in. You certainly don't have to open the door. Sin only has control over you when you allow sin in. Paul talks about sin like it's a person. I, I, I love the picture of you and your family are sound asleep, everything's going fine, and your ring doorbell says, boop, 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 there's a problem out here. And Sin's out there, he's got a mask on, he's dressed in black, and he's sneaking around. He's trying every window. And you decide, right? If that happened to you, if you had some bad dude trying to get in, what? I mean, you would do something. If you live in Idaho, you get your gun, all right? I guess if you live in Brewster, you get your gun, all right? If you, other places, you call the cops. You scream, you yell, you do something. Uh, we have a system in our house. I hear a sound in the middle of the night, like, Darlene, go check that out. <laughs> Come on, man. Someone's breaking in. You don't let them in. Someone's got evil's intention towards you and your family. You don't let them in. You get to choose. When you're in Adam, no choice. You don't have any power over that. Sure, maybe bad people in, in Adam do good things once in a while. But really, sin's controlling you here. It doesn't have to here. Not if you're in Christ. Listen, when you wrestle with sin, which side of the argument do you want to be on? Right? There's two sides. So, like, you're confronted with your sin, and everyone has, maybe you, maybe you have lots of them that you struggle with. Most of us have one or two. That you just keep going back to you and like, why do I keep doing that? Well, when you have this argument, what do you, how, how do you want to argue it? Yeah, listen, sin. I'm an Adam. I don't have any choice. I'm only human. Everybody else does it. I owe myself one. This is one time. I, I, I'm powerless over my situation and my sin. I'm just giving in. Or do you want to argue from this side? Almighty God sent his only son as the savior of the world. Gave his life for my sin and the consequences and power of it. And then he conquered that when he rose from the dead to prove he wasn't just some dude. And I'm in Christ. All the power and benefit of being in Christ is there. So when you confront sin, when sin's at your door ready to come in, what side do you want to argue from? Listen. I want to go with sin's not my master. That th sin's trying to rule over me, and I don't have to let it anymore. Why in the world would I 
want to go back to being a slave to something that Jesus freed me from, and now I go back and I attach myself and allow it to be my master again. I've been set free from sin because I'm in Christ. Not because I'm good, not because I'm a pastor, not because I've done something great. And the death that he died once for all, he died for me. Listen. If you wake up for anything, get this point. As long as you identify with who you used to be, you will continue to behave the way you always behaved. Listen, if you're in Christ, if you're chose, you chose to be a follower of God, if you admitted that sin gets in the way of who you want to be and what you want to be and in a relationship with God, all that stuff, when you find yourself in Christ, when you give your life to Jesus, you are a new person. That's the old, that's the old person. Why would you go back to being that person? You, you make the decision to not let sin win. You decide. You decide. So, how do you respond? You declare, you decide, one more D. Paul says, do not offer, meaning like, here, I have some. Do not offer any part of yourself. He's literally, literally, he's specifically talking about body parts. All right? He gets whole discussion of it. Like, head to Romans 6 and look at it. Do not offer any of yourself, literally talking about hands, feet, eyes, to sin as an instrument of wickedness. We do this all the time. Let me rephrase this so I don't sound like Grandma Carlita. I do this all the time. You're walking down the street. You see a pretty girl. You say, okay, sin, you'd like to have my eyes? Have my eyes. Okay, sin, you want to have my brain? Let me think about that more. Yeah, go ahead. Sin, you want to have my feet and I'm going to follow her? Wow, that's a big one, sin. That, all the time we do, we say stuff like, okay, sin, you want to have my mouth because I'm in an argument with, with, my, with my spouse or one of my kids? No. Sin, go ahead and have my mouth because I'm ready. I thought this up. I'm going to blast them. The garage door comes up your house. Your spouse is driving in. And you're like, sin says, okay, let's go. I got your mouth. Let's go. Take it. I've got your feet too. Let's meet them at the door. That Paul is saying, do not offer, as in, here you go, yourself, specifically, not just your mind, specifically, your hands and your feet and your eyes, specifically. You know, like, this is kind of elementary. This is kind of a little kiddish. Well, this is a big deal, and you got to start somewhere. That means you don't have to when you're walking down the road. When you enter into your sin zone, you can say, yeah, no sin. You're not going to have my eyes. I'm not going to look over there. Sin, you're not going to have my mouth because I'm tired of saying things that lead to death of relationship. It's never got me anywhere anyway. Sin, you don't own me. You don't have me. And I'm not letting you have who I am, all of me, because I am in Christ. But Paul says, don't offer part of yourself as sin and instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. 
Act, give your body in such a way that you're not a victim, that you're not doomed to be controlled by sin. Sin is not your master. Instead, understand that you are in Christ. You're a new creation. You have a brand new life. You're like, yeah, but when I gave my life to Jesus years ago, whatever, that never happened. Well, let's go. Today's your day. You don't have to give in. You're not that same person. You're a brand new, different person. You move from death to life. Offer every part of yourself. Instead of offering it to sin, offer every part of yourself to God, to Jesus, as an instrument, not of unrighteousness, but of righteousness, of right doing. Paul says you've got to declare what's truth. You've got to decide that sin's not going to be your master. And then you have to devote every part of who you are. Devote your body to God. Man, we just think that this Christian life, and maybe you're on the outside looking in, and I'm so glad you're here. Maybe you're not a church person. Maybe you tuned in for the first time online or showed up in Brewster. You're like, I thought this was all this mystical, spiritual stuff that only happens in your brain, maybe in your soul. Paul's saying, no, it's an everyday, practical, this is who I am activity. And if you want to acknowledge that you're in Christ and sin's not your master, then you live in 3D. You declare, you decide, and you devote. Now, I left a little extra time than we usually do to go into the next steps. Next steps we talk about every single week. We have these blue cards. There's connection cards online. If you're viewing online, you can go to a website or church app. They're in your bulletin, in Brewster, and in Chelan. And the reason we have a connection card is we want to hear from you. We want to know what's going on. You can sign up for stuff. You can get information. If you want to get baptized, that's coming up. But also, the next steps are on there. We want you to listen and then make a decision to do something with what you heard. Maybe something that I said here, or what the Apostle Paul has said, ah, that got your attention. Because what's going to happen is most of us are going to walk out of here, maybe going to like, hey, that's a pretty good service. Or you're like, I don't understand what they're doing. Uh, Kyle talks too fast. I mean, whatever, okay? But you're going to, maybe God has said something to you, and you're like, yeah, I did that. By the time you get to the car, you maybe will have forgotten all about it. Or, it's a bad analogy. By the time you get to the car, all of a sudden you're driving, and you realize sin is driving. That's bad if you're the dad driving home or mom driving home, but that, that you're back to figurative, you're back to sins in control, that you're thinking about that same thing. You're, nothing's changed, even though you want it to change. So let me give you some next steps, super practical. Number one, recalculate your relationship with sin. Reconfigure it. Start with your brain. Sin's not your master. Sin's not in control of you. It took me a long time to figure that out. I was raised, I mean, I've been a church kid. Dad was a pastor, grandpa was a pastor. I say this all the time. I was a professional Christian, went to Christian middle school, went to Christian high school, went to Christian college, went to Christian seminary, worked in Christian school, worked in, as a youth pastor in a couple different churches. I'm a I've been doing this. I'm at, this is my profession. I'm a Christian by profession. 
It wasn't until I was probably 20 and I was doing a youth internship at Valley Shepherd Nazarene Church in Meridian, Idaho. And I got done with my um, internship to go into ministry before my senior year. And I sat down with my boss named Rick Waitley, huge influence on me. I sat down with him and we're reviewing the summer what I did good, what I need to work on, areas, blah, blah, blah. And I said, kind of through tears, I said, Rick, I can't do this. And he said, Kyle, you got a lot of charisma, personality, you organize, you talk well. And I said, no, that's not it. I'm just not a good Christian. I've done bad things. I'm from a family of bad things. So I appreciate all your time this summer, but I'm out. Not out of following Jesus. I'm just, I can't go into ministry. I'm just not, I just can't. And he said some real strong words that probably we won't use in church. And he said, Kyle, you are full of hooey. You're not your past. You're not your family background. Sin doesn't have control over you. He, he, he went through this whole spiel of the, basically the sermon I just preached, and he did that in about two minutes, and he was really authoritatively speaking to me. He said, Kyle, if you, if you avoid your calling in the ministry because you think you're not worthy enough for the calling, you are missing out on what God has for you. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. Not then. It took me a couple years. I went back to Biola University, obviously the best Christian university in the United States, maybe around the world. Went back, and my major was Christian education, but I took all my electives that I had saved up and put them into education. So I decided to, be, decided to do something easier than ministry and go into teaching. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. All the teachers are like, years. Uh, so I taught school for a couple years. And then all of a sudden, through lots of different turns of events, this church comes knocking. They had fired a couple youth pastors in a row, and they're like, you can't be any worse. You want the job. And I thought, this is a perfect job. How bad can I be? And it took me a couple months into that job. In fact, it took me about 10 months. And I stumbled onto this verse. Paul, uh, Paul says, in a different letter to a different group of people, Paul says, your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though it's invisible to everyone around you, even though it's invisible to all the spectators around you, that's with Christ and God. He's your life. And for the first time, you would think I would have known this, you guys. For the first time in my life, I thought maybe it's not how hard I try, but it's how much I trust. Maybe there's a sense that I can relax because I'm in Christ. I'm not in Kyle. Based on my own ability, my own goodness, I can't live Christian-like without being in Christ and Christ living through me. When I discovered that, two great things happened. I got this overwhelming sense that God is with me and moving forward and I can do anything because Jesus is going first. The second thing that happened is this enormous pressure just fell off. That, like, no, I'm not good enough. 
I was thought I had to be. I can't do it on my own. But Jesus in me, Jesus who made me a new creation, when I became in Christ, and I think that happened when I was early grade school, I didn't realize it well into my 20s that the pressure to be perfect, to be good, to not sin is not on me. I'm in Christ. And sin's not my master anymore. That was such a powerful thing. Do you know that from that day on, I never sinned again? <laughs> Listen, sin, sin only gets in when I let it in. And I don't have to let it in. A couple more things. Last week we talked about looking at being in Christ as an international adoption. That if you've gone through that, you have friends that have gone through that, it's a huge, huge, takes lots of money, lots of time, huge celebration. When you find a baby that was placed in an orphanage and left, and then you offer it a new home, a new mom and dad, a new family, a new sense of love. That's what happens when we're in Christ. Paul uses that. He says that we're adopted. We're born into this family, but this is an orphanage. In fact, we're abandoned. But when we're in Christ, we get adopted into a brand new family. So, I imagined, if that were me, having adopted a baby, we bring it home, super excited. We raise a baby, we invest in the baby, we love the baby, the baby loves us. That baby gets to be two years old, three years old, four years old. And then, here comes a knock on the door. And it's the orphanage, or it's a government official from the country I adopted our baby from, and they say, we want the baby back. What do you think I'm going to say? If I'm in Idaho, I'm going to get my gun. <laughs> if I'm in Washington, I'm going to call somebody. They ain't taking my baby, right? Listen, you got adopted into Christ. When sin comes knocking, let Jesus answer the door. Come on, someone comes up and going to take your baby, and they say, hey, Junior, they're looking for you. Go answer the door and see what they want. Talk your way out of that four-year-old, Junior. No, I'm answering the door. When you feel you have that decision, when you feel under attack, when you have a decision to let sin in or not, Instead of you going and trying to figure it out and fighting your way through it, let Jesus answer the door. And you may have to say that out loud. For sure, inside your mind, like, hey, I'm not doing this. I can't do this, God. Let's have Jesus. Because I'm in Christ, I don't want to be in Kyle. Jesus, you go answer the door. You go do it. Because I can't. One final thing. Choose a daily devotion time. This is a different term. If you grew up in the church, it has one meaning. It's kind of not where I'm headed, but every morning, and I had to just to survive in marriage and fatherhood and ministry, I meet and have a time with Jesus every single morning. I just have to. I get up before everyone else in my house and I have a little time. It doesn't make me better than you. It's just I have to do that to survive. I just have to. Most of the time, it's super fulfilling. Sometimes it's like, eh, but I know it's something I need to do. So I would encourage you. Um, Pastor Graham preached a couple of weeks ago, and he totally undid what I've said about the church 
uh, the church app on your phones or online. He said he hates it and never uses it. He undid nine years of me talking about it. <laughs> Pastor Graham's wrong. Now, we all, we all read Scripture in different ways, okay? If you need your Bible so you don't get distracted and you need pages, great. I use my church app, and that's just what I do. So getting up, finding devotional to do, that's a good thing. But what I'm talking about here, when Paul says devote, I know it's, listen, if you're middle school and high schools, you're, you're really going to think this is stupid. Us older folks, we wish for you that you would do something like this so you avoid the mistakes and sin and penalty of it and consequences of it in your future. But if before you get out of bed or as soon as you get out of bed, you have a little devotion time and you say this, God, today I'm going to devote my eyes to you. I'm going to make sure, God, I want to say, listen, take my mouth. It's what gets me in trouble the most. I'm devoting it to you. My hands and my feet, everything about me, the what I think, I'm going to start my day, and I'm just going to say, God, everything of who I am, physically who I am, I'm devoting to you. And I'm going to start this day, and I'm going to enter into it knowing that I've given myself to you because I know who I am in Christ, and I want to act that out and live that out. So I'm devoting myself to you. You're like, man, what a pain. Why can't I just live and do what I want? That God's such a, like a bully. He like made the rules, and if you don't follow him, like you get kicked out of the pool or whatever, and you get kicked out of the club. I used to think that. Maybe God set these things in place. Like losing your temper and saying mean things. Going online and looking at pornography having an argument over needless things, saying things behind people's back, lying to make yourself look better. Maybe those aren't just rules that he came up with. Maybe those are rules that are put in place that are guidelines to make life much better for us. Because all of us would agree that if you took that stuff out of our life and out of the people's life we love, life would be better. Maybe he's not just a bully saying, do what I say. Maybe he's a good, good father that says, I want what's best for you. Here's the best way forward. Now, if you're here this morning, you're like, man, you lost me, Kyle. <laughs> you're probably in the majority. That's okay. But the biggest thing I want to get across, if you came in here and you're like, I'm not in Christ. I don't know about all this Paul stuff. I don't know about the New Testament, but I know I'm not here. And I want to work to get there. I'm going to really try to be that. You don't have to. This morning's your day. Brewster, today's your day. If you're online, today's your day. Shalane, it's your day. You can just stop and say, listen, I don't understand it all, but I don't have to understand everything to believe something. And I know the stuff in my life that gets in the way. I don't want to be that. And if that stuff is getting in the way of me having a relationship with God and Jesus can pave the way forward, if Jesus can bridge that gap, I'm giving my life to Jesus and receiving forgiveness of my sins. And that's not something magical or mystical. You don't have to come down front. You don't have to go through a class. You decide right now where you're at. If you haven't grown up in the church, if you used to go to church and used to think you used to be a Christian, and now you're not a Christian or whatever, today's your day to say, okay, I'm surrendering. I'm giving my life to Jesus. 
and there's a new life coming my way. Sin isn't my master. Jesus is going to open the door, and I'm moving ahead, counting on him. I'm praying that all of you are able to make that decision. I'm going to turn it back to Billy and Brewster. Thanks, Bill. Let's pray here. God, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for sacrifice. And sometimes we only think about that through Easter and different times. But without Jesus, the perfect sacrifice on behalf of our sin and the consequences of it, we would be lost. So God, I just ask that you help us understand that. And then once we do that, we depend on you, that we receive new life. We receive the gift of grace. We receive the ability to move forward, not letting sin be our boss and not letting sin in. In spite of all that, God, thanks for loving us even if we mess up. Thanks for loving us in our sinful condition. Thanks for loving us while we figure it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here this morning. Have a great, great Sunday. See ya. Love ya. Bye.